When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk draft again tonight and another countdown, the interior defensive line. By the way, things change 
quickly in draft week and or in the, the the weeks up to the draft. It's April 10th. We're recording this. So the Orioles have just lost the third straight in Tampa Bay to open the season. And we're talking about the defensive line, which will post sometime later this week. Joining me here to do this is Jason Smith, Bottle It Up Films. How are you doing, Jason? Doing really well, Ken. I appreciate being on as always. Thank you. Uh, always a pleasure, my friend. Tell us, folks, where they can find you on Twitter to start with. Sure, it's at Huddle It Up Films, and just as easy that is that Huddle It Up Films. Uh, yeah, definitely a follow you want to have on your list. Make sure you give give Jason a follow. Uh, so we've been doing these shows talking down ten to one, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit about where the Ravens are on the defensive line because last year. Very weak defensive line group. Christian Barmore was the guy who was excited about potentially the Ravens getting in the first round. Uh, didn't work out that way. They did have a shot at him. They didn't. They didn't make the pull the trigger at either twenty seven or thirty one to get him. Uh, and he's ended up being a seems like a very good player. Uh, in terms of other players in that draft, there wasn't a lot. And, and we, you know, talked about it, of course, on draft night ourselves before the draft that, you know, with COVID occurring, a lot of the larger men were taking 2020 off on a, as an opt out year. And that were, was meaning that a lot of guys were getting deferred for a year. Beyond that, we have all the small school players. And, you know, I have a couple of small school guys on my list or smaller school guys on my list. But those guys missed a lot of their seasons uh, entirely. In some cases, we had a couple of North Dakota State guys. We had a Northern Iowa guy. We had the Wisconsin Whitewater guy, Miners, the guard. I think that might have been about it. Those four guys in the entire draft who were from small schools, a stomping grounds for Eric DaCosta in the past. But uh, but last year they had all power five picks. Um, and, and it really just led to an extreme shortage of, of defensive linemen. Well, of course, that should lead us to a 2022 where there are many more defensive alignment available. Does it seem that way? It should seem that way, but that's not quite how it breaks out here. I, I think it's an underwhelming class overall as far as from the defensive tackle, a three-tech uh, specifically. Your all-star defensive lineman right there in the middle of things there's not too many guys, or maybe not one guy, arguably, that really fits the mold. So uh, you're talking about the overflow from 2020 opt-outs. I see it in other positions. I think overall this is a very deep draft. I have more mm-hmm. second-round grades than usual, but it just doesn't show up at the uh, IDL, the, what, what we're talking tonight. By the way, in terms of, of your overall grades and your big board, we'll be looking forward to that on draft night. Um, plan to be with us if you can. And uh, join us for a very fun watch party, night one, night two, day three. We're going to do round four only. Okay, so we'll do round one and then round two and three on day two, a little faster paced for, for that. Uh, on day three, we'll only go for the fourth round when the Ravens have five picks. Figures to be very exciting, obviously, for the Ravens at that point. And one of the anchors we use for that is Jason's big board. We'll have him talk about relativizing certain players across positions. That's interesting. Great panel of people to talk about that with. And uh, and we're going to have a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun to watch. And there's an opportunity, of course, to interact with us during the show. Um, we, we call on people to ask questions. It's like a Zoom meeting and whatnot. So uh, we'd love for you to join us if you can. A lot of fun. We certainly don't do it for the money. There's not a lot of that. In fact, there's none. But uh, <laughs> but it is a lot of fun. Story uh, of my life, there, Ken. Story there, of my life. There you go. It's <laughs> uh, you know when I when I stopped my actual career, it, the thing I was telling people was, and it's really worked out this way: is a million or sorry, a tenth the money and a million times the fun. 
but it's more like <laughs> a smaller fraction of the money still. Well, it's like still the, a times the it's like the Ravens method of the eighty twenty. Yeah, Ken McCusick go. style. There you go. There you go. That's uh, that's how you got to live your life sometimes. So I've really enjoyed this anyway. Uh, let's get right into it. So we go ten to one, and we'll do your number ten guy first, and then my number ten guy if it's uh, if it's different. Sure, I have John Paschal out of Kentucky uh, with my tenth my tenth guy overall six three two sixty eight. Arms are a little short, 30, 32 and three quarters. Again, there's just not the perfect player in this draft. Paschal is a guy who I, I really like for a couple of reasons, though. His instincts against the run, I think, are very, very good. I think his pass rush has been a little overrated. I went back and looked at his five sacks, and it was something that I actually caught on his highlight package that three of those five were against a smaller school, looked like early in the season. And uh, came kind of in garbage time. So when you see things like that, that's why I always recommend watching a highlight package because you get to see how those stats are accumulated. Hmm. With with Paschal, it uh, the five sacks seem misleading to me. But what is not misleading is just how good of a football player he is, Ken. That's a that's a really good point, and I, I I'll make a counterpoint, but I agree with what you're saying. Is basically if you watch a highlight package, you'll often get every single sack, and then you can get a context component to that i also tell people look at all the snaps from one game when you can get it and by the way you go down pretty deep into this defensive line draft there's a whole lot of guys you can't get every snap from a game you have to go back and actually watch the game as opposed to having the plays cut up in a way that you can watch them very quickly takes a little more time still worth the effort if you can do it but uh what i think you get there is a better sense of what the player is doing play by play and you get a better sense of hits per at bat uh than the 1000 batting average that everybody has that seems to have on their highlight tape. Exactly. And it's not, you know, I don't not saying recommend just watch the highlights. If that's all you have time for, there's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, if you concentrate on one or two games, you're going to miss a lot. So I want to see them at their best. And then quite frankly, Ken, there are some negatives you can take away from highlight tape too. You can see their speed in the open field. Maybe that's not great or, Maybe everything's coming on a slant, you know, receivers just catching slants and you never see him a variety in his route. So it can create doubt uh, in that way, too. But with Paschal, yes, the, the sacks, I believe, are misleading, something that I caught three of the five were against a smaller school. And um, one thing I would like, would like to say in his favor that is just kind of a context clue, it's a term I've been using more, is that he was moved around so much by Kentucky and he barely came off the field in the full games that I watched. I mean, I, I want to say his snap count had to been in the 80 percentile. So he's a guy that that tells me the coaches like him. The coaches see him as their best option here on these downs is their best option here on those downs. So the intangibles, I think, and how much the coaches used him and love him is a good sign for Paschal. Had some trouble figuring out. He really came up with our edge guys when we did that with Gabe Ferguson. So that'll be out in the next day or so. It'd probably be out before this comes out. Anyway, if, if you have have a chance to go back and, and listen to the edge guys. But um, at 268, he's a, he's really a tweener. So if you put him on the field, it almost either has to be a case where you want him to rush the passer to kick him inside or you're trusting him to be a two-down edge on the outside. And I, I guess it's either one is possible, particularly if you had a, you know, a shortage of edges. I think after this draft, the Ravens are probably going to have the edges that they want. They'll have guys to kick inside. 
Um, I just don't know that they're going to have the snaps for a guy like Paschal. And, and he doesn't really fit an overall rebuilding plan for the interior defensive line. He can be a specialist. He can help you there. But I, I don't think he really fits that need. And so I think for, for the Ravens specifically, probably not a great fit. Yes, there are a few of those guys here on my top 10 that aren't prototypical. Again, going back to the opening of the show, aren't your prototypical defensive lineman that you would you would see. But Paschal, exactly like you said, hey, early downs, maybe he gives you some pass rush and you move him out of five tech and then sub rush, kick him inside. There are a couple other guys on my list like that, Ken. All right. Outstanding. Ready to go to my number 10 guy? Ready. I have been worrying about choking all week on this one, but it's uh, Ioma <laughs> Uari. <laughs> Let me do it this right. Uazarike of Iowa State. Uh, lots of things to like about him. And let me get down to my notes on here. So I'm making sure that I am working from the right one. 6'6", 313, 35 and an eighth inch arms. You, you know me in, as an arm length Nazi, certainly from uh, offensive tackle plays. But uh, this is an interesting player because he could end up being a two way guy. He's the, he's one of the one of the one or two in this class who might really be that. Um, nothing really but arm length jumps off from his measurables. 23 bench reps, by the way, at that kind of arm length is outstanding. Uh, and don't let anybody tell you, by the way, there's all kinds of guys tell you it doesn't matter. It, it does. It matters. Longer arms is is a different uh, length, uh, distance in terms of how you have to move the bar. It's also so there's some other things about torque I've heard from other people in terms of getting the bar started uh, from the bottom that make it more difficult with longer arms. Uh, on, the, in the, on the defensive line, he really figures to be one of these three-tech, five-tech Guys, And that's fine, by the way. The Ravens can use a versatile, tall guy who can play three and five tech. That's really what Campbell is. That's what Wolf is in a lot of ways. And they really need to get young guys to replace those two specifically. Uh, maybe Wolf may never play again. So, so he would be a guy that uh, uh, would be a good one to uh, bring in for that role. Uh, not polished hand play. I look at that as an opportunity with a guy with his frame. Uh, he does some things very well, sheds blocks exceptionally well, gets distance from that offensive lineman exceptionally well. By the way, translatable to the offensive line, I would believe. Uh, very efficient tackler in the Big 12. Uh, he had 222 tackles, 34 and a half for loss, uh, 15 sacks, and nine of those came in 2021. So this guy will not go unnoticed. And it actually is probably a little bit of a sales job to get him to think of himself as an offensive tackle after the year he had in 2021. But I kind of discount some of what he did because he was a fifth-year senior, uh, probably was was benefiting from being older than the competition. You, you often see that in minor league players. It's just not that not that great to have a big, big offensive year at 24-and-a-half at double-A uh, when everybody you know who's any good has already moved on to higher levels than that. So, uh, you know, it's not exactly what you'd, what you'd want. Um, he, he will have some suitors on the defensive line just for that sack total, but he's a little raw. And he's all arms and legs in a lot of ways in terms of what he is. But with the NFL roster rules being what they are right now, you, you're essentially required to keep eight offensive linemen. And what the Ravens did last year was bring on uh, McKenzie, and I've, Khalil McKenzie, right? I'm, I'm hoping I've got the name yes. correct, um, to, 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 as a game day guard when they really intended to play him a tackle. But they listed him a guard the whole season. They realized what they were doing from the very beginning, and they said, okay, we'll list him at guard. If we play him a defensive tackle, that's great, but we have to have eight offensive linemen. There's no requirement for defensive linemen, so we'll go ahead and list him at guard. I, I think 
that's what they would do with Ioma if they brought him on. So uh, interesting round six pick possibility. Somebody might get him earlier than that. Somebody might like him as a defensive lineman better. It's not a very deep class, so it's certainly possible. But he's he's one of my draft crushes this year. I, I think it would be a, a pretty big reach to take him in the fourth round, but I really would love him in the sixth round. I like the final analysis there, Ken. And, you know, I, I think that his length and his ability to play the run, be dependable in that area – will allow him to stick at the end of the roster. That was my that was my last note on him. Will stick mm-hmm. at the end of a roster. There's just only so many human beings that have that capability. So although I think, you know, he lacks true power, he lacks kind of some explosiveness, it shows up in his ability to control the man across from him with his length. A lot of that's negated is what I meant to say. So he doesn't need to be overly powerful or explosive. He controls people with, with their length, and, I mean, that leads to – Someone that you you mentioned with a little bit of work in his hand placement should be able to two gap and stop the run. I would believe in, yeah. in the Raven system. Yeah, I do. You think you think uh, watching him play defensive tackle, defensive end? Do you think he could end up playing offensive tackle someday? Possibly. I haven't. I haven't watched much of his. I haven't watched any of his tackle tape, so I, I would be unfair to really. But I mean, he's got the feet and the movement for it. I could. I could see him very easily being. Uh, uh, I don't know, a lower level tackle in the league too. Maybe bail you out in the situation. But but yes, I was looking at him for the defensive line here. All right. All right. Well, terrific. You're number nine guy. My number nine guy is another one of these uh, same uh, ballpark as Paschal, 6'4", 261. He's a little bit longer, 33 and eighth inch arms. And that's Sam Williams. And I wanted to mention, first of all, he had some pretty serious off the field incidents was arrested and then the chargers were dropped so feel free to look that up on your own time but you know sam williams may be a guy that falls off the board uh he's very explosive with his hands with his power he's a little clunky for a defensive end but i think his power will play on the inside he's actually a guy that i like very much i I think that that he will play in the nfl as long as everything clears with, you know, his work ethic and health and all the other stuff that you need to be successful, I think Sam Williams can be a player in this league. Um, it's just a, just a kind of a tweener again, Ken, in his body type. But the reason I believe in him so much is because I think that he plays way heavier than two sixty one. Mm-hmm. He seems like one of those power edges that you could slide inside for rush. So clunky hand in the dirt defender. He's got that hybrid defensive end feel. Explosive hands get off. His play speed is is average even for his size. But you see the swim swim move. He's got he's got some tricks to the trade in his game. Yeah, would they be wasting him? The Ravens had him. Would you be happy if he was really playing inside? He's a, he's a guy who's got a four forty six forty, seven oh three three cone, which is damn good for an edge. You know there are guys in this class who are better, but seven oh three is good for an edge. Uh, I, I I almost feel like you move that guy inside, it's a it's a little bit of a waste. His arm length isn't ideal. Thirty three and an eighth, a little short on the edge, is going to be outreached by some tackles there, but. Um, I, I probably still like him more for quickness than I like McPheeing him and moving him to the inside. I like I like him at five tech. That would be where I would primarily play him. And then, of course, you can get creative on the rush. But average down and distance, I like him. And kind of like how we use Calais, but maybe he doesn't have that uh, flexibility of a Calais. You know, Calais is very long, powerful, experienced. Slide inside, put him over the center. Maybe Sam Williams isn't ready for all of that. 
But, uh, I, you know, I saw him primarily with his hand in the dirt. I didn't see him standing up. I didn't see him do a lot of dropping. And I didn't really get a feel for his play speed, Ken, despite what the testing numbers would say. Yeah. So I, I saw him kind of as a five tech. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. We'll move on to my number nine guy. That's John Ridgway of Arkansas. A fairly uh, prototypical nose other than his, his path through the college ranks. He had four years at... Oh, where did he play his first four years before he moved to Arkansas? Anyway, four years not in in, uh, in Division One before he moved to in sorry not in the FCS. Not he was in the FCS before he moved to Division One. Sorry, let me get this straight. I think it was uh, Western Kentucky, but I'm going to look it up. I thought it was in in state, like he just moved uh, not too far. No, I'm sorry. Kentucky and Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let me, let me continue. You, you'll look that up while we go. Six, 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 three twenty, uh, thirty-three and five eighths inch arms. Uh, terrible jumps. Awful three cone at seven ninety. Uh, five thirty forty. So it's just, it was really nothing in his testing that would make you uh, like the guy. Uh, he has some strength. That's that's really about it. Uh, Illinois State. That's where it was. There you go. Missouri uh, Valley. Yep. Okay. He's, he's a very productive tackler with 39 in 11 games. By the way, interior defensive linemen just do not pile up tackles. Kelly Gregg, big exception to that. And uh, one of the things that made him so valuable was he's a very productive tackler despite playing inside, but very hard for defensive linemen to pile up tackle totals. Uh, if And the guys who can get 3.74 per game, even sometimes four and a half per game. Those guys are really valued and, and oftentimes very sought after in the, in the draft because it means they're penetrating and doing good things uh, at, at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, his, his length is at least make him an adequate two down uh, NFL run stuffer. And that's one of the needs of the Ravens is to get a long-term nose tackle either this draft or sometime soon Ridgeways, you know, would be the guy to replace Pierce when he goes, he's the guy to replace Pierce if Pierce gets injured and you can't really get by with having one nose. You really need to, even though the Ravens in recent years have, have been uh, either piling up guys on the roster who play nose or going, going out and getting them with, whether it's Pecco or Ellis or whoever, you know, fairly cheaply from the street. Uh, if they really want to rebuild the line and not keep paying more than um, they should for those positions and going out and, and, and getting a Ridgeway or another young player would make a lot of sense. Uh, I like the fact that Ridgeway has played in the SEC, so it means he's played a very high level of competition. I think that needed to be answered for him after Illinois State, although I didn't even look at his Illinois State numbers to see what he'd done. Um, that, that If he had played great there, if he had a bunch of sacks, a bunch of tackles, he would still have to be answered. The context questions would be large for a player with his, uh, you know, size and length at that level. Uh, what else do I want to say about him? If, uh, if the Ravens took him in round four, I think it would still be a reach. If they got him in round six, it'd be a big value. Uh, Ravens big hope to get him is probably trade down and get him in round five. And we're going to be in the fourth round together. I know. Are you excited about the possibility of the Ravens either trading down or maybe resetting their draft into 2023? I could see that. I could see the Ravens actually wanting more picks this year too, mm-hmm. just to just to load up. They say, "Okay, we'll trade you one of our picks next year for a lower round pick this year," it, just because of the depth. So, I yes, I could definitely see that. And I would just wanted to echo one of your last statements: as fourth round to me is just a little too early for a player like this. This is a pure nose tackle, the kind of guy that could go in round five and round six. Another great point that you made, I want to just echo, is that the move to Arkansas was extremely important to him because his main his main thing is his strength. 
And when you're playing at a, you know Missouri Valley, it's a, no offense to them, it's not the SEC. So he got to go up against future pros, some really polished guys, and his strength played. You know, he's he's not extremely polished. I think his hands are good. I think his technique is good. All that should be improved with better coaching. But he's a strong player, and he's an anchor. Uh, one of my good friends calls him Baby Huey, and I, that's, <laughs> that stuck with me. That that seems to be him in a nutshell. He's not going to look pretty in that, at the combine, Ken. But, uh, you know, when it comes to holding his ground and stuff in the run, he'll be there in the middle for you. SEC, definitely major league territory, a very high percentage of offensive linemen, in fact, of, of NFL offensive linemen. In fact, I'd say if, if you're talking about an SEC team with a winning record, it's really kind of a personal failure or a maybe even a coaching failure if your starting offensive linemen don't graduate into the NFL. Uh, it really it, it's a it's unusual even the guys who are not necessarily all that highly thought up in, in college or thought that maybe they got by with Alabama's line, like Bradley Bozeman, say, end up being pro linemen and, you know, usually being pretty decent. So uh, uh, it's, uh, it's quite a, quite a level of competition he moved up to. Okay. Yes. I like him. He was one of my honorable mentions, just missed my list, Ken. So I think he fits uh, just putting him in the top 10. And of course, I'm cheating a little bit with these DNs that kick inside on my list. So if you're going to talk about pure, you know, three techs or lower, Ridgeway would be on my list. He would make that. Glad you're bringing flavor and texture to the show. Put whoever you want in your top ten. Nice, <laughs> so, nice. Number eight. So number eight, DeMarvin Leal. This guy's more conventional defensive lineman. You're, you're going to see him maybe listed at, at edge. He would be a 4-3 edge. You know, I see a lot of similarities in his game to say maybe a, a Sam Hubbard in the division that you could look at where he's not the most dynamic pass rusher, but he gets the job done. You can move him around if he chose to, which is why I think he could be a target for the Ravens. 6'4", 283. So again, he's a little bit undersized. If Ravens like big, big players. 6'4", 283. Arm length is a little below average, 33 and a quarter. But he is a chess piece, much like Paschal is in my eyes, just a little better version of John Paschal. How, how do you see him? Is, is he a player that you like? Yeah, legit, legitimate player. And he just missed my edge list. He was on the honorable mention for my edge list. And, and you know, there, he's, he's not really big enough to move inside at, at the NFL. My problem is his tweenerism is, is, is part of a larger problem, is that there is no five-tech position anymore in the NFL. Why? Well, because offensive coordinators choose to put three wide receivers on the field. That does something called forcing the nickel. It forces an extra defensive back to be on the field. Nobody tries to play three wide receivers with four defensive backs. To, to have that third defensive lineman on the field, the Ravens are one of the few teams who can do it by taking off a linebacker, but you really need to be playing with only four defensive backs usually. And uh, there just aren't that many total five tech snaps across the entire NFL. So when you, when you look at this and, and who, who are the, who are the people to get it? Um, you know, it, it can be him, but they're, they're, you know, they're really good players. He competes with for those few snaps and it's not enough to just do that. So he has to do that and something else. In his case, I really think he's good enough to give you good edge snaps and then kick inside on passing downs and give you something else there too. So uh, I, I, I felt he was, he was, uh, he was worth it. I honorable mentioned him, like I said, on the edge group, but I have met number seven on, uh, on my list here. Very good. And uh, I, I wanted to add to that, that Cle the Cleveland Browns in particular 
are the one opponent that we have that we see twice a year that these five techs come in more handy, it seems like, because they've run the ball so often. You see those 12 personnel come out on the field. They don't force you into nickel. Uh, so, you know, you saw the the effect that, uh, you know, McPhee uh, even and Calais Campbell had on teams like the Titans, the Browns. You know, there are going to be games and maybe even big games where you need these guys. I mean, not Kansas City, not not mm-hmm. Buffalo for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you see Cleveland twice a year, hey, it doesn't it doesn't hurt to have these hybrid type players in there on your team. Like you say, Ken, we just wish we had some more prototypical all stars in this uh, in this draft. It's nothing against the guys that I mentioned in my list so far. There you go. So uh, we'll go to my number eight guy, right? That's what we're going to do. And let me make sure I have the pronunciation on this guy correct, because I do not want to get it wrong. Another one. Uh, Atito Agbanaya of UCLA. Uh, a, a good player. And what do I like about him? Let's make sure I get down to the right place here. Uh, very traditional nose tackle size, 6'4", 323. 34 and a quarter inch arms. Love to see that. Now, oftentimes, opposing teams, any team, will try and hide shorter arm length on the inside. You can get by with it a guard, generally speaking. Uh, you love to have a guard with 34, 35 inch arms to, to open the front door when you're pulling. But it's uh, it's less common. It's more common. You end up with a bunch of uh, 31 and a half to 33 inch guys on the inside and a 34 and a quarter inch arms. Uh, will have a significant advantage in terms of dictating first contact. This is an extremely powerful kid. Uh, by the way, I, I, I had a lot of trouble finding birthdays for this draft. Like a lot of trouble finding birthdays. But for him, I was having all kinds of trouble. And then I found there's this shot putter uh, who had a, you know who was, was 20, uh, I, I believe, but by the thing. He's going to be 21. What do I have this? He'll be 21 on 12-3. But he's a shot putter who's had all this thing. Now, I have no idea if the shot put age is correct or if the birthday is correct. But that's how I found him. And it is him. It's, he had a remarkable uh, run in high school and, and, and college of being an outstanding shot putter. 29 bench reps, despite those longer arms, is really exceptional. Um, despite that, if you watch the guy, he's all arms and legs. He needs a lot more power, particularly in his lower body. Um, to be a more effective player. Um, and his arms are not huge. Even though, you know, you, you see him putting the shot, they look pretty big. You see him in a football uniform, they don't look that big at all. Uh, he looks really all arms and legs. 531 in the 40. Uh, the age is great. Uh, we talked about him as a shot putter. Uh, he's got a very limited statistical profile in terms of what he's done at UCLA. Two sacks among five tackles for loss in 2021. Um They'd really be looking for a nose tackle who can two gap uh, with him. He's not he's not that much different from Ridgeway in that in that uh, respect. I think there's a, maybe a better frame to put the weight on and more functional strength probably or as much functional strength right now. So uh, exciting player. I, I think he he'd be a young nose and being younger than Ridgeway by almost three years. Uh, it would be exciting to to, to have that. Gotcha. And, you know, his last name looks like Ogbania, but uh, I actually looked at the TV copy or listened to the TV copy and they were saying Abonia. So I'm, I'm going by Abonia. that now. Abonia. Yes, like ammonia almost. So um, pneumonia, but you get the point there, Ken. So I, I'm taking my stab in the, in the dark there. Maybe I'll have to brush up on that before our draft show. But uh, but yes, I have run defender only in the NFL, but can bowl effectively and his get off is quick enough. So he'll get off the snap, times it well, 
can get into you with that length and uh, can push the pocket, but really, you know, in, in a more traditional and uh, sense or, a, you know, more uh, blunt terms, he's, he's a run defender only in the NFL. I think his length is evident. It was evident, like, Ken, a lot of times I like to watch them play. In fact, this is my method and kind of guess the numbers. I, just like I like to guess at the combine. This guy looks like a 4-5 guy or 4-4 four, four mm-hmm. guy. And I do the same thing with, with the length to see if it matches up. And, uh, you know, I'm like, man, this guy looks long. And sure enough, he is. I think he has good eyes. I think he reads quickly overall. And especially at his age, Ken, I think he's he's got a bright future. And, again, he, uh, we talked about uh, who was your first guy where I think he said he sticks at the end, end of the roster, uh, Awazurike. Yeah, Awazurike. Yeah. yeah, I think Agbonia is uh, – is a better version of that uh, two down player. I like him. I like Ridgeway actually a little better, but I can't argue with you there. I mean, it, it's pretty much the same role that they play in the team. And I like how you're giving the edge to the younger player there. All right. So I had him at number eight. Who's your number seven guy? Hey, number seven. I, I think that this guy plays like a Raven and he's a guy who has extremely violent hands, uh, extremely heavy handed. And that's Cam Thomas. 6'4", only 267. So he has some weight to put on uh, as far as his his play, but his play strength is already above average compared to his peers. It's a guy that I'm in love with. He is uh, one of my positional favorites. Violent hands, generates force. His power will translate. He does play a little short. He's one of those guys that lacks length, and it shows up from time to time because he can get swallowed up and stuck. Uh, but what I like about him is he uses, I don't know if you noticed this, Ken, but he uses a spin move to disengage. Yes. So when he does get caught with those short arms, he plays with urgency, will spin away, uses that spin to dis- disengage, and he wants to force the action. I think he has good eyes, but like we saw with Matabike, sometimes he gets his eyes a little lost when he ducks his head. So that would be my full scouting report on him, Ken. But there's just something about this guy, the it factor that can't be explained properly with uh, – terminology that I think that he translate and that's why I have him that high on the board there at my number seven so he's um, he's among my edge guys and I had him as an honorable mention an edge and again I guess I probably could have moved him into the inside and given him a break like I did with the Marvin Leal and move him onto the list I did not uh, but I had some good notes on him so I want to go through these here three outstanding years in a row 20 sacks uh, among 39 tackles for loss in 33 games you won't find that ratio from too many players in the entire draft. That's that's truly outstanding. Very, uh, very much not a natural clubber. He's only got one forced fumble among twenty sacks. Don't like to see that. And you know, we, we talk about it sometimes with safeties that they either go for the ball or they go for the man. You know, trying to trying to jam that ball loose. Yes, I, I definitely like to see edge rushers who go for the ball first. And trust their ability to disrupt or take down the man with with one hand with one arm. And a lot of cases, it's just a matter of disrupting it. So you go for the forced fumble. It's usually the much more high value play. And maybe somebody else gets gets the whole sack or half the sack. And so you lose out on that. I don't know what is going through edge rushers' minds when they make choices about whether whether to go that way from the blind side. But anyway, I, I definitely prefer the clubber given the choice. Uh, it, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so this is the last of my guys 
that I would say does not fit or could be a tweener where I have to ask Ken through the show, are we going to put him in your edge group or are we going to put him on your D-line group? Again, I, I just really think that he's a chess piece and his hands are, are as violent as you see, as you want to, as you want to see at the college level. And I think that's what really kind of contributes to a lot of his production. He will knock you on your backside if he gets the chance. I agree. He's a swatter at the line of scrimmage. Definitely very good, very effective at getting to the arms of the opponent. Some of that is polish. Some of it is because he's shorter armed, he probably has to. And right. He's kind of learned that he has to, so he had to become a more polished swatter to be a, to be an effective pass rusher at all. Um, you know, I, I think he fits for versatility that you're talking about. I think he could play the edge maybe on early downs. Later on, he moves it moves inside. He could be you know McPhee uh, or uh, Ward. Uh, if people want to think about him in recent years as a guy who would move the inside on uh, uh, on pass rush downs, but uh, he's just he's. I'd love to have him. I'd love to get him cheap in this draft. Um, you know, if they could get him in the fourth round, I'd probably be pretty excited about that. Given the the other defensive linemen in this draft, and you know the, his opportunity to be an edge, he just is. He's a he's a somewhat limited chess piece. I would say I, I agree. He's, he has some versatility, but that versatility doesn't necessarily mean he's really good at either position. So, Ken, this is a good time to ask a question. So maybe something I should have brought up at the beginning. But with our new defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, could you see us playing more even fronts to enhance a guy like Matabike, who is not your classic two gapper, or to allow you to play more Adafio way on the strong side and not have to worry about him covering? He can set the edge there and get after the passer. Because with Mike McDonald, uh, you know, it, it seems like a switch to me from the, you know, say the defensive coordinators we had before Dean Pease to mm-hmm. the Dean Pease era, which was different, to the coordinators we had after Dean Pease. Mike McDonald seems like a, 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 a hybrid of the two himself. So I'm not ruling out these, the you know, the Cam Thomases of the world that we're talking about, obviously a perfect fit for these four, three teams that you would put them on the edge and you'd be very yeah. happy with that. When I noticed that you're fading them down the board like a traditional Ravens defense. I'm trying to keep my mind open to maybe we do play more even fronts. That's, I mean, that's a fair question. It's a great one to have on this show. But um, if they're going to have, if they're going to play those even fronts, one of the things they need is good off-ball linebackers. How many good off-ball linebackers do the Baltimore Ravens currently have? And you know that's that's where I think you have to start. So if you're talking about moving Bowser off ball, okay, sure they can do that, and 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 you know have him stand up and and do things. He's already played a fair amount off ball, so you know you could do that. I think it does kind of take something away from what he brings to the game to to not have him up in the face of the tight end sometimes, or the inline guy uh, to not be able to rush off the edge. I think you lose something because Bowser's you know got some slipperiness to his game too, um, but he could stand up if he needed to. Now you got to find a true Mike out of this group. I guess that's Bynes. But does that mean you got to keep him on the field for more plays? If you're, are you going to still run four on third down? Are you going to you going to be willing to replace all with safeties like we'd see in a three four? I, I think we, sorry, when they move to the four man front anyway on third down, that they will they will you know still be replacing everybody with safeties. I just don't see this team as having the plethora of inside linebackers necessary to move to a four three. Understood, understood. You know, and the, the reason I keep thinking about this is because when I when I first looked at Mike McDonald and what his defense was, and I wasn't paying attention much to the prospects. I was just trying to look at mm-hmm. what his basically get a feel for him. He's relying on the job. and he's relying on Hutchinson. Is he, he's relying on that front four to just do their thing. And then he's basically putting everybody else into coverage. 
And when I look at the, you know, what was supposedly philosophical differences, you know, Wink didn't get fired for poor performance. They just wanted to go their separate ways. And I look at Joe Burrow and I look at Pat Mahomes and the guys in this, you know, that are in our way that you can't blitz. I'm thinking, well, maybe maybe we're going to take borrow a page out of McDonald's book and we're going to load up on some of these guys like Sam Williams or guys that normally wouldn't fit. Let them play the edge, go a little lighter and uh, maybe use some more safeties in that linebacker role. Uh, that kind of thing. Just mix it up. Maybe you mentioned Bowser. Maybe Bowser gets some get some run on the edge and get some run on off ball. So, you know, you get a little bit of best of both worlds depending on the matchup. So uh, that's something that I meant to call you and talk to you about offline because who knows? I mean, I don't think any of us have the answer, but just looking at Mike McDonald's Michigan defense, I could see I could see a slight s- switch there. Yeah, I, I, first of all, don't don't ever worry about bringing up the tangential topic on this. This is what we love to do anyway. This is what makes it so much fun to have a discussion with you. But I will say, Mike McDonald was at Michigan for one year, correct? I, I'm not wrong. He wasn't there for two years. Nope. He walked into a situation where he literally had two of the best five edge rushers in the entire country. Very that true. Were, you know, perfectly happy. I don't. I don't know if I can really mold that into a philosophy as much as he built his defense to fit his players, which is what, you know, all defensive coordinators will tell you is their first mission. I was going to say, if, if not that, then at least you can give him credit for knowing the strengths of his team and, and building around that, which is a good sign in itself. But the way that doesn't explain the wink part though, Ken, that I don't know if you thought about where, Hey man, why we is need, wink gone? Why is wink gone? We, we need to lay off these blitzes and play a little more straight up, which to me, it screams like a, a four man for late. Hey, let's stop playing all these pre, you know, games, pre-snap, all this simulated pressure and all this mess. You're not fooling burrow. You're not fooling Mahomes. Josh Allen's going to beat that too. Just lay back and, and play a little more straight up and bring a linebacker when you want, when you want to blitz. Let's not overcomplicate things here. All right. I do have two responses to that that I just cannot pass up on before we move on. Go, One go is it, Wink is amazingly scheme diverse, meaning he, he changes it on a dime during the game, quarterback to quarterback, week to week very well. Uh, you know, I, I keep track of all the, the elements of deception used in the pass rush. Uh, on a weekly basis. Then the percentage of times they rush five or more, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers who rush four a lot. Well, there's four man blitzes and there's four man blitzes and they zone blitz a lot. And they, they're still bringing different people, a different four that still adds an element of a confusion to it. So it's, it's, it's really not all about the numbers. You can't figure it out from that, but I will say in terms of elements of deception, uh, you know, wink, wink changed quite a bit. The other thing is I, I think that part of the problem that got Wink fired. I think it's two things. One is that Wink wanted a multi-year deal and the Ravens weren't really willing to commit to him at that point. They wanted for one more year, but they didn't want to commit to a multi-year deal. And Wink is probably saying, everybody else is getting a multi-year deal. In fact, Harbaugh got a, a multi-year deal this offseason. hadn't happened yet at the time the Wink thing happened. But but he wanted to, to know that he had security and the Ravens probably you know just were, were ambivalent to it at that point. I think developmentally, the way that Rob Ryan did not work out with Patrick Queen probably really hurt Wink. And I don't know what more Wink could have done. I've, you know, I've, at those practice, I've talked about, you know, the lackadaisical Queen lying on a, on a, not lying on, but leaning on a tackling donut during the 20 minutes of special teams play that's involved at the beginning of every practice. I mean, he, he had Rex Ryan there to try and teach him how to play linebacker. As far as I'm concerned, every every 20 minutes I saw him do that is 20 minutes of excuses gone for the rest of his life in terms of why he's not where he needs to be. 
Okay. See. I, 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 I don't think they could get along. I, I, I don't think it reflects all that well on Wink either that he couldn't get that situation fixed uh, on the fly there. Gotcha. That's a lot to digest, Ken. I appreciate that side conversation. Did you, did you give your uh, number my seven number, yet? My number seven guy is DeMarvin Leal, so I did. Okay. So let's go to your number six guy. Okay. Now we're getting to more traditional. Uh, this is the part of the draft, Ken, where I feel like now at from six to one here, we have some traditional IDLs that you're you're going to you know categorize on the defensive line. They're not going to be able to stand up for you, really. And my number six is Fildarian Mathis, 6'4", 310". Very long, Ken. You got to like that 34 and 5 inch uh, arms. And he's really a chess piece uh, for Alabama. I like the way they moved him around. He's he's more a traditional football player. He can handle three tech, I think, full time on regular down a distance. Uh, I think that you can move him four or five tech, move him around the line, find a matchup that works for him, and, and he can plug in a bunch of different holes. Um, there's really. Uh, he, uh, to me, he comes off as a better than average player all the way around. In other words, he's not going to be a superstar, in my opinion. He doesn't have that kind of physical just makeup as far as his explosiveness or doesn't have an area of specialty. But I think that he's very well-rounded player. And I've seen opinions on him go all the way from the first round to the third, almost the third round. You know, I think he's a second round pick all day, Ken. Oh, you have the second round. Okay, that's very rich. Uh, the arm struck out to me. Uh, he certainly is built a two gap on the inside. A lot of advantageous situations can occur. One one thing that people like don't think about is just how hard it is to set up a pulling offense if your guard has to deal with Federian Mathis, because he he can really disrupt what a guard is trying to do to a defensive tackle to turn that guy inside. Uh, it, it could be the nose tackle. Uh, it could be a three tech. He's trying to, to, to turn to the outside, uh, depending on how they're running the play, but it, but it makes things more difficult to have length on that defensive line uh, for a team that's trying to pull against you. So Ravens play some power teams. Pittsburgh has always liked to, to, to run power, even though they're not always, have, they haven't always been great at it. Um, but the Cleveland, loves to run power and they are a very good offensive line. Their, their guards can legitimately pull and you want to have an answer for that. And, and Mathis could be a guy that could really help you with that. Uh, certainly had a big year as a senior with nine sacks and a whole bunch of other stat filling uh, sheets. He played 39 snaps per game in 2021. So we're talking about Mathis at that level. We'll get to another offensive lineman who didn't even play, sorry, defensive lineman didn't even play 27 snaps a game. Uh, who I think winding could be an issue, uh, but he's he's Mathis has got fantastic size. He's got high tech results, uh, but very below average athletic profile overall. I, I, I ascribe some of that to his motor. I think he's a guy who who stays active on plays, and uh, you know one of the issues with staying active on plays when you're defensive lineman is continually trying to disengage and twist free of your opponent, which is something with long arms. Of course, you can do a lot and you have some advantages doing, but you, you need to continually be trying to get yourself free as a play is being extended because you never know when it's going to be extended half a second too long and you're going to get that big opportunity for a hit on the quarterback or even a hit on the running back sometimes if there's a some uh, back and forth in the backfield. So uh, he, he's a player I really like, and I have him at – Number six on my list. So he was six on yours as well? Yes, number six on my list as well. I think that's about perfect for him, Ken. Mm -hmm. In in terms of the round, uh, I I have him as probably going in the fourth round. I I don't think – 
I don't know if that rules the Ravens out or not. It, it seems pretty rich for the Ravens uh, to, to go for him in round three. If he somehow drops into round four, I think they, they stand a good chance to get him because they've got all those picks. Uh, of course, there's a lot of players they'll probably be interested in getting at that point, some good tight ends and some other players. But, yeah, I, 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 I think he's probably too rich to take with their second, third-round pick. Okay, see, I, I like him and the guys above him in that second-round range. Uh, we, of mm-hmm. course, we'll have some players go into the first round, but – this is where I, my philosophy on that this can is that those are the six that you want. Those are the six that you want. You don't want to wait and miss because after that you're you're running into the the hybrid type players that we went over before, or your pure rud stuffers. So mm-hmm. if you want you want a guy like you said, I think that his athleticism or lack thereof caps his upside, but he has a little bit of everything. Is is hand placement good? Yes. Production? Yes. Big school, yes. Can he play here, play there, position versatility? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like he, he has a lot of yeses along there that makes me think that he's going to be a pretty good pro and get his share however many uh, snaps he can handle. So that's – yeah, I like Phil Mathis, and you know I gave him an overall second-round grade because in this draft it's just hard to find those guys. All right, outstanding. Well, let's move to number five then. You've got a second round grade on this guy too, then. I do, I do. This is where we're getting into the are they available at pick forty five for me? Mm-hmm. Um, probably these guys can. When it's all said and done, forty five is going to be a little bit rich because players will fall. I'll have players in my top thirty, of course. No matter what kind of list you make, there's going to be players left in your top thirty or so uh, at forty five. But he's Logan Hall for me, my fifth, my fifth pick. Uh, he's kind of odd body type, Ken. He's 6'6", but his arms are well below average, 32 and right. three quarters. So that part of it is just doesn't add up. You're talking about a 6'6 man who looks, I mean, you know, he looks the part, uh, 6'6", 283. So he's not big and, you know, like a Jordan Davis big. He's big and in shape big uh, with short arms. So go figure on that one. But he is a guy that I really like as a five-tech. I had this discussion with our buddy Dev today. Uh, and Cole Jackson weighed in as well, where he's one of those guys where you put him at five tech on normal downs, you feel good about it, uh, kind of fits in the mold. He lacks the length, but he all, otherwise he fits in the mold. Your Calais, your Brett Urbans, your Zach Seilers, all the way back to your Trevor Price's type uh, five tech that the Ravens like, those big tall guys. And then you slide him inside uh, on, on uh, as a sub rusher. And uh, what I like about him, Ken, is like, He's just extremely quick for a guy that size. I've never seen someone shoot a gap as quickly as him. Maybe that's an overstatement, but it's six six can really be disruptive player. Uh, and again, if you're going playing the even front, uh, he can be a guy that you can stick at edge all day on that rush end, and and he he will find some uh, opportunities to get into your backfield. And that may be one of the problems with the Ravens getting him, and I really like him a lot too. In fact, he's my number number four guy. Um, so I liked him. I have another guy at number five, but, uh, five tech position, of course, going out of style, he, he's going to look really good to a lot of these four, three teams. He's definitely one of those guys, yep. uh, that, that will be more in demand for them than he will be to the Ravens. So the Ravens, he's more of a versatile guy. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, the Ravens want these versatile three, five guys. They like taller guys in that, in that spot. Wolf Campbell, all the all the guys you you know we've talked about Price and and others, um, he is that he's got some really legitimate athleticism. You know, he's great straight line speed, good shuttle, good three cone for an interior defensive lineman, not for an edge at seven twenty five. He's, he's kind of kind of a, a 
less lateral movement than you really want out of an edge at that point. Um, I think he really kind of needs to be a three, five tech guy in the NFL. Of course, four, three edge would work also. Um, what I noticed on tape for this guy is really a very heavy handed play where he swats hands down effortlessly. And we, we talked about this with the other guy earlier, uh, you know, with shorter arms. He probably had to learn how to do that. If you right. put him at five tech, certainly he's over the tackle. He's going to be over one of the longer guys on the offensive line. Typically if he's over the right tackle, probably the second longest guy, if he's over the left tackle, the longest guy. Um, and, and you, you know, you've really got to have a guy who can handle uh, that jab and the, and the, 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 fist coming right into his armpit at the start of the uh, uh, start of the play and not get latched on easily. He's got to have moves to, to, to counter that. Um, he look, also looks very comfortable playing with one arm for the extra length. And again, that may be a, a evolutionary trick of his to, 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 you know, to be able to survive is that he's able to play one arm longer than two and negate a length advantage from an opponent there. Um, good quickness and first step. I think he could certainly be a over or under guy on stunts and twists. And there are a lot of guys who are good under guys. Derek Wolf, good under guy, not a good over guy. Um, Logan Hall probably can do either. He's, he's got enough of that quickness. Uh, like Matt Abike, I think he can be either. Uh, like Campbell. I think he can be either. So uh, very good. Campbell's more about technique at this point in his career than than about the, the speed or the quickness, of course. Played more than 42 snaps per game in 2022. So you like to see that kind of durability out of your seniors, especially good players. Uh, that also will hurt his availability for the Ravens because a 4-3 uh, team will traditionally play their ends more total snaps. If you look at the Steelers of the past, they're, they're four, three guys, all always their ends played more snaps than, uh, uh, than most other teams, uh, say three, four edges would. So, uh, uh, a, a team that wants a higher percentage of play is going to get what they want in Logan Hall. Uh, versatility has value. He'd certainly be a foundational youth piece to rebuild the defensive line. So he fits that. I, you know, I, there, there's so many reasons why I'd want to have him at 45, and yet I still think he's too rich for that position. I think he probably – the Ravens, if they can get him with their first pick in round three, I'd do it. Uh, but I think he's too rich at 45 to go after. I think there's going to be too many good players you know, still on the board at that point, which I think is a, you know, a fairly close mirror to what you said earlier. Yes, that's exactly how I feel. And there's a couple other th- indicators here for me that he understands who he is. Uh, you, you mentioned it with him adapting to his length, but also his height he adapts to really well. I thought that he was really conscious of his pad level and not getting too tall at 6'6", understanding when the run may be coming his way and really kind of sinking his hips, lowering his pads. And so I love that about him. The pad level is still going to be problematic. It's not perfect. But he looks very conscious of what he needs to work on and how he needs to be effective in the game. I thought he looked really good one-on-one drills. There's just a lot of upside to this guy. And Ken, you know, again, I have to be honest. I'm looking more for these uh, defensive linemen who can generate pressure on their own if they're singled mm-hmm. up. And I think that that needs to be a, a, a point of emphasis for, for the Ravens. And you'll see that come when we get to the top of my board here where I'm just, you know, Ty is going to go to the guy who can stay on the field on third down and, and just make life miserable for a quarterback. That's, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm not so worried about two gapping and controlling the run defense. I mean, the game's changing. I'm looking for somebody to get pressure. Logan Hall to me can do that. 
All right, fair enough. So you had him at five, I had him at four. I'll go to my number four, five guy then, who's uh, Perry and Winfrey of Oklahoma. I'm sure you've got him in there somewhere. Yes, sir. Uh, He's my number four, so we're right on time with this. We're uh, we're just flip flopping here. Okay, six four two ninety thirty five and uh, three eighths inch arms. In his case, a four eighty nine forty. Great physical profile for that four three end again. A uh, little small to play inside weight wise. Uh, got the good length, so maybe he can make do with that. It, it, a lot of that has to do with leverage, how he gets you know, his weight distribution, his lower body and whatnot. But he can certainly play at it close to 300 pounds there. Um, he'll have trouble locking out against some NFL guards at that weight level. There's just there's too many things that you know, any NFL offensive lineman can do to counter length alone. Um, you know, he's got to have more than that. So we'll see if he if he can grow into his body and whatnot. I think um, like Logan Hall and and uh, he's not quite as big, obviously, as Hall. Uh, he needs to play a three five tech role in the NFL five tech role. Not enough by itself. Um, it's not hard to project this guy as a guy you would want to add to a very scheme dependent pass rush. Now, this is a fair point to ask. Are we sure that's what the Ravens are going to be in 2022? I think I, I'm pretty confident they're going to be a 3-4 team. I, I'm not confident they're going to be as scheme dependent as they were with Wink. I think that was very, very much a Wink choice. I think that's what, what, how he wanted to run the defense and how he felt it best worked with the secondary he had. I will say this, that the, the pursuit of quick pressures on third down ain't going away in some way. So they're either going to have to get them with individual, they're going to have to get them with straight blitzes, or they're going to have to get them by some other form of scheme or deception because Marcus Peters on the field, you know, for example, feeds off that. You know, he feeds off a route being disrupted, off something being taken away in terms of time in the pass rush that he can then exploit. And we saw him, you know, his pick six against Cincinnati uh, a couple of years ago now, I guess it was, uh, was just such a play. It was. It was. It was a. You know, he he saw it coming the whole way. Three step drop, easy out. He gave up on any kind of deepness. You know, any kind of uh, they're throwing it over my head. Immediately undercut the route, ran it, ran it in for six. It was the kind of kind of play that you just couldn't do with anybody's defense. But he he heard what the defense call was. He knew how to exploit it. And you know, with Winfrey getting back to him for a second, um, he'd be really good with scheme dependence. He can be a, a, a guy who can help with his length and first step to both penetrate and also to create face crossing opportunities where you might be able to exploit on stunts and twists. So I think there's lots of opportunity there with him. Uh, if the Ravens could get him in round four, I think he'd be terrific um, value. He maybe ends up being a backup, grows into his body a little bit. Uh, he'll be used some right away in year one, but I don't see him necessarily as a guy that, that is going to play a ton. If he, if he got through to round four, I'd be very excited about the Ravens getting him. Yes. Another guy can, I guess we're just split on the round, but I, I have pretty much the same scouting report on him. The only thing, and by the way, I give a shout out to one of our, lo- our loyal listeners, Eric G Clark, that you may see on Twitter mm-hmm. a lot. And this is his guy. He's, he's, he's ready to take him at 14. So he is a huge, <laughs> okay. huge Perry on Winfrey fan too early for me. But, you know, in that second round range, he would be a guy like we talked about with Hall, where it wouldn't be my preferred pick. But if we swallowed it, you know, sculpt it down, say, hey, it's now or never for a defensive tackle. We can get our edge rusher later or our backup left tackle or whatever. I would not dislike it. I would not be in anger if we picked Winfrey with our second pick because I believe in his power, Ken. I believe mm-hmm. in his power and I believe that he will add some weight. And I believe that he can be a, a, a full time three tech. 
eventually, maybe not to start. But um, I want to give you my concern with him, the, the thing that's holding me down. And that's his play recognition. His eyes is what I call it. He is one of those guys where you see him at the Senior Bowl, and especially with nothing going on around him, I mean, it was good luck. He was going to dominate every single guard he, he lined up against. Mm-hmm. It was just he did what he wanted with him. And, I mean, he's that kind of physical specimen. That's why I believe in his power and his quickness and all that physical stuff, Ken. But what I what I see that bugs me and something that I'm a, a stickler on is your play recognition in your eyes. That covers up for everything else, your speed and everything else, your length, whatever measurable that you're short in, your, your recognition and that first step, your first move is important. So he gets off on a good step. But he loses the ball way too much for me. It seems like you can freeze frame his games and everybody else has their head turned to the ball and he's still trying to be this man. Like it's a obvious like thousand one before it before he realizes it with the rest of the group. So that bothers me about Perry on Winfrey. But I do believe in him athletically, I think, a little bit more, Ken. Yeah, we love Eric Clark, of course. Thanks for coming on the show in the past. Uh, he's been he's been on the show maybe two three four times now. Great so guy, far. yeah, so, yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun to talk football with. Uh, I will say, th- there's a, there's always like a, a an economical nature to the draft. So it didn't matter. For example, a couple of years ago, who's the, who's the edge rusher? I'm going to lose the point of this thing if I don't get this. The edge rusher that that Las Vegas took at number four. Cleveland Farrell, and he Cleveland didn't need Farrell. to go there. That's yeah, right. and he didn't need to go there. You could have traded down. And and if you're Mike Mayock and you have to eat some crow and take a crappy deal to move down to number 10 or 13 because Farrell was going to be available there too, That's you right. take it. You, t- you take losing that JJ trade, looking like an idiot doing so, because it's you look like a bigger fool taking him at that point because of the economics of it. Ken, so, Ken I, I'm sorry. I got I to gotta jump in here. He did it with Damon Arnett too. Yep. He, he he did it over and over again. He, uh, Abram, uh, the safety in the first round, probably didn't need a strong safety in the first round. But that was Mayock's downfall. If you have a guy that you like, like you're saying, Ken, know the market around you. Know what other things, other teams think of of him, and 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 that's why you rely on your inside sources and everything. They're all looking at the same mock drafts. They're all watching Daniel Jeremiah and Mel Kiper and all these guys with sources on TV trying to rank them where they're hearing. So you got to rely on that stuff a little bit and not overdraft a guy. Go ahead, Ken. Thank you, though. I, I just I, I want to say there's a certain codependence going on there when Mayock and uh, uh, Chucky were together. Yes, is is that is really Mayock was brought in to be a, to be part of a strong coach system. So they'd hired uh, Chucky on the ten year deal. Okay, and and they brought in Mayock, and Mayock uh, was there to support his vision. So part of the problem may have been that Mayock says, "I love this guy," and he tells him, uh, "If you love him, go ahead and draft him," or "I love him too." Let's go ahead and draft him at number four, or at, in Arnett's case, at number nineteen or twenty, wherever it was that they they ended up drafting him. And and all it takes is two idiots like that who are too strong willed to 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 listen to other people for that to, to to happen. Even if their entire scouting staff was basically telling them, "Look, we love him too. We think he's a good player. We delivered you these scouting reports. You still have to be economical about this. Somebody has to clue them in on that." It's one and, thing that the Ravens are really good at. You know, yeah. we're not afraid to trade back. If we have three guys that we'd like, we'll trade back ten spots and say one of those three guys will be there. Um, so, so yes, that's a, been a pet peeve of mine with, uh, with, with, with the Raiders. It wasn't the guys that he wanted. It was just where, where Mayock took them. But, uh, 
But yeah, Ken, sorry about that. I had to had to vent on that one, man. No. You got me fired up. Tangential conversation, always appreciate. I think we have the flip flop on four and five guys. So you have Winfrey and I have Hall at number four, correct? That's right, four and five for Winfrey and Hall in any kind of order. Jump so, into number three. So number three, I, I, you know, this is the part of the draft, Ken, where I would say, okay. Most of it's subjective. I can understand why Ken has this guy here. I have that guy there. Or you got the guy here. But these top three should be the top three, in my yep. opinion. And I'm going to start at number three with Travis Jones. Big old nose tackle. Talented nose tackle. Probably can get some three-tech out of him if you want a bigger front. But uh, this guy basically does what he wants with whoever he wants. At 6'4", 325, uh, long, he's got the length necessary, over 34 inches. So what I like about him, Ken, is his push-pull move. I just mm-hmm. It's the first thing that stands out. He will get extension on you and then dismiss you with yes. some force. And just basically, I mean, you're not in the picture anymore. When this guy gets his hands on you and he dismisses you, you're gone. Yeah. You're out of there. So uh, not the kind of guy that you want to see lining up across from you uh, with his eyes, locking your eyes if you're a quarterback. Or a Lo- 32-inch guard. <laughs> or a 32-inch guard, exactly. Yeah. So, so yes, Ken, I, I love the player. I have him. I'm going to tell you right now. I have him high on my board compared to where others are. I have him at 28 overall, uh, and that's not counting quarterbacks. So he looks like an end-of-the-first-round guy to me if I was going to draft for every team. And I think that there's an uh, – you know, you could probably leave him on the field in third downs if you're that kind of team that relies on one big guy for your four-man rush or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he can, he can give you some push. He might not finish with sacks, but there's not a whole lot not to like about his game. He is what he is, but he's a very good version of it. Yeah, you you got the the push pull move is is a classic thing of beauty done by a guy of his length. It's, it's yeah. really like he just pushes a guy away, says, "Oh no, you're in this line, I'm in this line," and then you know it's just it's it's, it's very good to watch and uh, very fun. Uh, good lateral movement on him. A four ninety two forty. He's got legitimate, you know straight line speed not that that comes up too often but in pursuit it comes up still with, with, with sure, screen passes maybe yeah. that kind of thing sure yeah absolutely um uh he played 53 snaps per game in 2021 now UConn obviously they didn't have a whole bunch of great defensive linemen but that's still very impressive to 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 play that much I think he's actually a guy who will benefit from an NFL workload. So he's going to be up against some bigger players, probably not a lot of much longer players in the NFL. There's, there's plenty of guys who have fairly short arms, particularly on the inside, that people are hiding at the NFL level. But uh, he, he stands to really benefit from playing 70% of, or, or as much of the, the snaps. Now, there's one thing that was true of Haloti Nada when he first came out, was that, that everybody talked about him playing too high. Back problems would come and then this and that. It's that's not necessarily a bad thing when you have a player who's been as productive as Travis Jones has been in college, because it's an opportunity for growth. And, you know, I want to find the player who hasn't completely realized his his potential. I'm a little worried by the guy who's the most polished at all the things he does. And, you know, I, I, I kind of forgiven in some of these short arm guys who were able to swat, you know, longer arms away because they had to do it to survive. But, but, but in, in other cases like Hutchinson, for example, extremely polished pass rusher on the edge, he's definitely got a lower upside than some of the other guys in this edge class. And uh, I just, I, you know, it's not, he's got a very high floor. I think he, he might still be the best player in the draft, but in terms of, of, you know, who has the higher upside as an edge rusher, you know, I like Thibodeau better. You know, I, I like, uh, you, you have the same place. I'm can I, can I, yeah. Can I give you go mine? I, I, you know, yeah. I have, I get Thibodeau Walker and then Hutchinson and I'm taking the okay. stand on that. 
I just see the upside for Walker and the long day at the office he presents. And uh, Hutchinson, I think, is he's you know a lot of people see the '97 and the you know the way he plays and style and how he looks and all that. I don't think he's a Bosa. I don't think he's a Bosa. I, I think he's a, a step below that, whereas a guy like Trayvon Walker will be a better pro than yeah. he was at college. That's just – it screams that to me, Ken. So I can't blame you if you take Hutchinson ahead of the other two. I can understand why. But for me, I would be in the room saying, no, you take it. Thibodeau, number one, stands out among them all, and then I would go with Walker. So. I, I, I tell you why watching our draft show is so fun. The, the – the draft coverage is entirely Ravens-centric. So as we move through these picks, we're thinking about who we want the other team to pick and how it affects the Ravens. And after each pick, you're not going to Joe Burrow's home and seeing his parents congratulate blah, 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 blah about the number one pick and then having four stories about him before the Ravens even pick at number 14. You're, 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 every single pick, it's how does this affect the Ravens? And we have a lot of fun with that. And watching you know, a player like Thibodeau, for example, or like Walker, fall down the board with a chance to get to 14 and knowing that there's a whole lot of really good players, Sauce Gardner, others, uh, they, they won't all make it, but somebody's going to make it to 14 that we're just going to love. And I'm going to be a wreck. I'm going to be a wreck, Ken. I'm, I'm warning you ahead of time when it gets to like 11 or 12. I'm going to be the guy on the panel being like, just just give up that third round pick. Just do it. Just get that guy. You know, I don't have the patience. I don't have the patience of some, man. Certainly don't have the patience of Ozzy. He was a man that tested my patience on draft yeah. day, and it worked out that he was right most of the time. So. And in his case, he gave up the six to move up to him from 13 to 12 <laughs> to, right. to, uh, to get Nada. Long time uh, ago. That's right. But, yes, sir, he did. Great, what a move great. that was. But, yes, uh, Travis Jones, I think, is a really good player, but – I you know I can't I can't separate the the first two Ken I can't separate the first two. Okay. What else do you have? On got, got one more thing to say about you. Yeah, go ahead. I I think there's about a forty percent chance he makes it through to forty five, and that's speaking to your value question. So you have him at the end of the first round. I I, I actually think there's there's a reasonable chance he makes it to forty five. I'm not I'm still not sure the Ravens are willing to expend the draft capital on the defensive line at that point. They should. I think we would both agree. We would love to get him at forty five. I'm just not sure they're willing to do it. Yes, and this is a good time for me to say that, and you mentioned it, my board is Raven-centric. So when you see some of these defensive tackles that we talked about earlier in the show scooted up my board compared to the consensus, it's because there's a need there to get younger and to get healthier. Why I wouldn't throw my my hat on the ground if we drafted Winfrey at 45 or even Logan Hall. If Travis Jones slipped to 45, I'm turning in the card, Ken. Turning it in. He he tells me that he can be a three-tech in this league. Uh, just maybe not a pass rushing, but a dominant three tech in this league, too, because you see these uh, smaller, more mobile linemen filtering into the league. And he's just he's, he's going to bully them like we saw from Brandon Williams. Maybe he's a better, better finisher than Brandon Williams, where, you know, you go ahead and try to block him with a 280 pound center. It's going to be it's a nightmare. So, yes, I love I love Travis Jones, Ken, one of my favorites. All right, well, I'll find the player. Trevor Penning, if he drops to 45, are you still drafting Travis Jones over Penning? Yeah, oh, no, well, I know. I have I have Penning higher. I do. <laughs> okay, so I, I do. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that could go, could go wrong with it. I, I just I, I don't want you to be, you know have a heart attack and be wed to your own position there. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I, I have Penning at 24. I have Jones at 28. So if I'm true to my board, uh, I would take Penning. Sure, sure. Okay. But, you know, you, you talk about, like, uh, uh, the, the guy I have behind him, Boye Mafe, 
Yep. Boye Mafe or Travis Jones. This is where put stacking an overall big board is just so subjective. And I don't, I take it very seriously, but I don't take any kind of criticism of my board personally because you have just as good of an argument as I did, as I do, my friend. So that's what makes drafts so much fun with us. I, and we, we really appreciate having a big board and your big board is a good one um, up there just as an anchor. So we can we can toss around our discussions and, you know, it's one of the things we can go to. We've got good draft trade analysis. We've got lots of people who really know the game and really know what the Ravens need to talk about it. So hope you'll join us for that night. We'll have a lot of fun. We'll get to your number two guy now. And, and our two and one are the same. Let's see if the order is the same. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't even know if I have an order, Ken, but I'm I'm putting Jordan Davis at two. I, I am. I, I just yeah, I'm gonna just give you my my concern because obviously his his strengths and how he tested and everything he's done speaks for itself and he's got a body of work and I believe he's gotten better. But for him to play the season at three sixty to me is a is it's kind of a red flag because as i've said to other people ken there's no way he was at 340 and the coaches said hey man you're not big enough at 340 we're gonna need you to bump up to 360 bud or you can really clog that in so the fact that he could take 20 pounds off that easily and show up and run whatever it was and you know test like he did is a red flag to me and uh you know our friend jake vogel who's our resident georgia fan you know, said that Davis had a comment where he wants to live longer, prolong his life, be healthier, yada, 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 which is really where what he should be thinking about. And, you know, I, I, I tend to believe that. But again, doing it in real life is, is another story. So the only thing that's holding me back with him, Ken, is, you know, how much you can play him. Is he going to be a 30 to 40 percent snap guy? Is he, you know, I, I, I'll leave you with this because this is what I've been asking people at my barbecue series. Is he Haloti Nada? Is he Brandon Williams? Is he a Vita Vea or is he a Vince Wolfork? What are the percent chances, if you can give a number on it, that he's either a, just a two-down run stuffer or a complete game wrecker? Okay, so you're putting Nada as a complete game wrecker? I'm putting, say, your Nada, your Vita Veas, your Dominican Sues, whoever you can think of in your mind is like that, you know, that three-down, you know, mm-hmm. play him anywhere, he's going to get you past rush. He's probably get you a handful of sacks. Um, or is he just the dominant two-down player like a, like a Travis Jones, just a better version? Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. I mean, I'd look at a couple of things about the weight loss. The first is if, if he was essentially playing with one arm tied behind his back during the regular season, yeah. it, it, it speaks to stubbornness maybe or uncoachability. I, you know, the coaches certainly didn't tell him to, to – Beef to up. play at a high level. But <laughs> what they do tell every player is play as heavy as you can. Don't worry about your weight. And he probably was leaning on that himself just a little too heavily around the, you know, the cafeteria. And, uh, and, and you know, went a little bit more. He drops 20 pounds. All of a sudden, he runs a 478.40. Uh, he's had 34-inch arms the whole time. So that's never been an issue. Tremendous lockout. Uh, takes double teams like nobody. I, I don't think that'll change, 340 versus 360, honestly. I don't think, I don't think it'll change much between the NFL and the SEC. I really don't. Uh, never played over 27 snaps a game in college. I think that will change with the weight loss. I think he's a guy who probably can play more snaps. Uh, they'll also find a way to rotate him in more effectively uh, at the NFL level. You know, and it, something will fit his need, and they'll also have him grow into more, put him through uh, better training regimens that'll 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 get him better winded as as he moves through. If he doesn't adapt to that, by the way. That would be, a, you know, one of my concerns with penning. It's the penalties because the guy just screams out bonehead with the penalties. And, and I still think he's the fourth best offensive tackle in this draft. Don't get me wrong, but the Ravens are going to have a really hard job 
re- getting this guy back on the tracks in terms of understanding why his game won't work. He got away with all kinds of crap at Northern Iowa. Obviously, it speaks to his work ethic that he couldn't cut down his penalties. You look at the penalties themselves, five personal fouls. Well, there's no offensive lineman who picks up two personal fouls per year. But for five in a single year, not address it. He's got too many of every other type of penalty, by the way, too. But but five personal fouls in 2021 alone. So Ravens will have a big job if they end up getting Trevor Penning. Yeah, I just, I just, I'm not sold. He's at the very end of my, who I predict to go in the first round. I have him at 24, like I mentioned. And that's just because I don't want to be so far off of the consensus where I see him go in the top 10, but that's not where I see the value at tackle because of those issues. Same thing scares me with a guy like Tyler Smith with all those penalties and those low hands that he carries. Like I I look more in the petite Ferrer. Uh, range the Rashid Walker range these guys that are more polished and could probably back up Ronnie right now than to have Penning in there and you know I'm not a big fan of Penning's feet either I think he's a little cement footed at times and that leads to some of those penalties so um, yeah I, you know if if we pick Penning at 14 I would not be a happy camper I, I, I think it's I think it's a reach on Penning I think their big chance to get him is by trading down and I, I don't think it's even impossible they end up getting him at 45 that every team just says uh-uh on the penalty thing and uh, and, and you know it, it, I, I don't know if they, they talked to the guy whatever let's not make this the Trevor Penning Sorry, I've talked yeah. about him on like three different three, three different shows here because I have some very strong feelings about him but I'd be very upset also if the Ravens took him at 14 so Ken may I ask you what, who is your number two man like how do you rank these guys uh, well, I, was gonna, I, I actually have uh, Jordan Davis at number one and Devontae Wyatt at number two so okay. let's talk about Davis first since you just talked about him, um, he has not shown much as a pass rusher so far. But in the NFL, every blocking scheme he's going to face is going to have to start with him and move out. Now, let me let me tell you the significance of this because we had a Lodi Nada here in Baltimore. Did a Lodi Nada ever get a bunch of sacks? No, not really. I mean, he 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 had a bunch of years with one and two sacks. And the reasons that that was happening is because everybody's blocking scheme had to start with him. You have to start putting two guys on him and then a single, 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 and we'll figure out how our back is going to get the blitzer. And, you know, all of these other things, all your blocking schemes have to start with that. Tomlin you know, was quoted saying basically exactly that. You, have, you know, when you have Suggs and Nada, well, you worry about Nada, get him blocked up, and then you can move out from there kind of thing. I, I think it's the same case with Jordan Davis and people being a little bit too hard on him in terms of what his actual contributions were to the Alabama pass rush. Taking doubles is a huge part of, of being a contributory of, you know, pass rush uh, element. So he's, he is that, I think. I think he'll be that uh, in the NFL. I, I don't think he's going to be a guy who's an under necessarily on stunts. He may, he may have the quickness for that or he may not. Um, but what he will do is take up double teams and create opportunities for blitzes. He'll open up B gaps for your slot guy to do it, especially when you're fanning out the left tackle on to his side or fanning fanning the uh, fanning the right tackle if he's on that side of the play. But a lot of ways he can help you get past rush. I think he can also get a good bull rush. I mean, the guy's gotten lighter. Uh, I think there's more to come in terms of what he can do if anybody ever leaves him single teamed in the NFL. And I think he's he's honestly just too big to do that too. Uh, so anyway, I think I think he brings you more than that. And that's why I ended up putting him at number one. Uh, and I really do love them both. Wouldn't be upset with either one at number 14. A lot of people have Jordan Davis lower than that. No, I, I do. Jordan again, Davis in the 20s. I have them both at 11 and 12. And I have okay. I've had this hard top 10 
that I've been sticking to. And I'm been proud because it seems like others are coming around to that consensus. So I won't read all 10 names, but right on the outside of that is Wyatt Davis. And I also like Drake London and McDuffie. Those would be mm-hmm. my, my fallback plans. If you know we couldn't trade back in the board by some miracle went by the board, which it's not going to hot take here. Jordan Davis goes in the top 10. But you're pretty good chance. I think I somebody, yeah, I think somebody falls in love with him just like Malik Willis and sees the great, the potential to be great, and is like, we can't pass on a blue chip guy like this. I don't care if he's a nose tackle, he's he's Vita Vea to me. You know what I mean? He, right. Somebody's going to see him like Haloti Nada and take him up there. All right, outstanding choice. So let's talk about Devontae Wyatt. You go ahead and go first. You're the guest. Talk about what your thoughts are about him. Thank you. So this is the one guy in the draft that I think can get interior pressure especially on a team like the Ravens who has have traditionally had a Jordan Davis type at Georgia player to pair with Devontae Wyatt. So you bring back a Michael Pierce or you bring a Williams or your big old nose tackles who demand that double team and you leave Devontae Wyatt one-on-one with a right guard. And Ken, yeah. I, the, the one question that I had with him is his length and it, he, because he measured in at 32 and five-eighths. Yep. With, with his arm, but when I watched and I tell you that I guessed Ken, I would have guessed he would have been over 33. Like yeah. he doesn't play that short. I don't, you know, I don't know if it's just his technique or whatever it is, but when I watch him play, it, it kind of defies what that measuring, it, I don't know if it's, you know, what that is, but um, I saw him two gap. He looked fine two gap and Ken, mm-hmm. and I think he is a rich man's version of Justin Matabike when I look at him and the thing that he does better than Matabike does or did at that stage and still does, quite frankly, is the string moves together. You, you talk about a swim, a club, a, a spin. You know, he can do all that to keep working and disrupt your backfield. I think he gets into the backfield, and that's why I have him that high. Uh, and one last thing, Ken, we talked about stunts and games. Perfect player for that. He, he, yeah. he can fly over two gaps if he has them to. Yeah, I, I well, I, I agree with all that. And uh, he'd be a great under guy on stunts. Uh, he will wreak havoc crossing the face of the guard. Uh, he's just too quick. And I, I think, by the way, that's a lot of what we're seeing in terms of you You say a guy plays longer than he really is. A lot of it's just quickness. You know, if, when he makes his first step and the guard's like, uh, moving in slow motion to stab him, yes. uh, yeah, that, that is, he's going to look, look like he's a little longer. And by the way, if you're a center and you have Devontae Wyatt lining up a three-tech, you better have your mirror right there. Yes, in sir. terms of where you're looking. Because if you fail to process quickly, if you're if you're set up, if maybe even that's the scheme to play a double team on that, uh, you know, the other defensive tackle, the nose, I mean, you, you, nose tackle, I guess it would be, then you, you, Devontae Wyatt is going to hit you like a freaking Mack truck, and he will have no remorse for it. And not only that, he'll penetrate right past you after he does it. So after he pancakes, he's going to be in the backfield. That, that play will be ruined at that point, or at least have a good chance to be ruined. I, I, that quickness is just remarkable. It's 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 very odd. We saw Matabike win a number of one-on-one batch, matchups, which I really like about him. And it was one of his big developmental things, both in his rookie year and the second year, of, of trying to um, you know move forward and and uh, and do some things really positively. Uh, he he doesn't have that kind of cross the face quickness. He's much more of a of a straight play, ahead yeah, gap play, shooter type. Yeah, play play the outside one or other gap, not not cross the face and make a move on the on the next lineman. I mean, he's just he's not that kind of guy. I mean, Devontae Wyatt, uh, badass bowling ball of a player. Uh, 
you know, one of the things about him is he's not a great strength player as yet. And that's scary. In terms of you want to, you want to talk about untapped potential. I think that's something there. Um, he'll be, I think there is a chance he'll be on the board at 14. Again, he's one of the guys that will be very fun as the, as the night rolls on and we get towards 14 to see if he'll be there. It'll also be very fun if there are four guys that the Ravens want there, if they may, dra- if they may trade down in the draft and pick up some additional picks, because this is certainly a Ravens team that needs a lot of players right now. Uh, there's a lot of positional shortcomings at this point. Um, the one thing I'll say about him is drafting him means less snaps for Matabike. So if the Ravens are in a position where Wyatt's on the board and somebody else just has to have him, the Ravens might give him up uh, to trade down four or five spots and knowing that players like McDuffie or even Jordan Davis or maybe even Penning by that point are guys that they could they could take at 19 or 20, say, um, and, and pick up an extra, you know, a pick that would be significant, maybe a second round pick uh, late um, that they would really appreciate. So it, there's, I, I think there are reasons why they might say no to him based on who Matabike is being the only young lineman the Ravens have and not wanting to have like a duplicate young three tech uh, to him. That said, Matabike is not good enough that you say, I can't draft a generational three tech ahead of him. You just go ahead and do it. I mean, honestly, you, you'll figure out a way to get Matabike on there on rushdowns if you want to. You can you can play him and and Wyatt on rushdowns that's, if you want to. That's where I'm going with it, Ken. You just there's not enough guys that can bring interior pressure like that. Don't worry about. We already have one who might be able to do it. Let's, let, you know, injuries have a way to. And and, and Matabike played a little bit of the five, not much, but mm-hmm. you can see him out there. You can mix and match and move him around. Let's not let's not worry about that or overthink that. In my opinion, if Wyatt's there, he's one of the few. Maybe the only I like I like I said I like Winfrey to maybe develop into what I think Wyatt will be, but that's it, Ken. Like other than that, you're 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 really you know skimming the like they think that's why you think and others think that this defensive line class is is below par is because there's not a Devonte Wyatt and there's not a lot of Winfrey's out there. It's Wyatt and Winfrey to me that can play that role, right. All right. A great discussion, Jason. You really appreciate it. Let's talk about some some guys maybe just are outside the top 10. And you may have hit on them a couple of times because maybe some of my guys. I have a couple of names here I don't think we've hit on yet, but go, go with yours first. Okay. Yeah, I have two. Uh, there was only two. Um, one, I believe his first name is Zach. Zach Carter out of Florida. Uh, 6'4", 282, 33 and a half inch uh, arms. Again, some good, some bad. Don't see him as a superstar, but I, I think that he will he will definitely make a roster. I see him as a you know a day three, maybe early day three, fifth round type of guy. Zach Carter, Zach Carter is where I, where I look at him, and then the other guy is the uh, LSU kid Neil Farrell that you got a good look at at the Senior Bowl. Again, nothing special, but I think that uh, I think that I like I think I like enough about him to where I would draft him in this draft if it you know. A six or where would you take him? Yeah, it's it's hard to say now. I'm stacking up the end of my board, but again, he if fourth seems too early for him, like it would be for mm-hmm. Carter. I'm looking after the fourth round to answer your question as straight as I can. Fifth, sixth, depending where we pick, who else is out there, yada yada. But um, but right. yeah, those two guys to me, they're they're just too much of a tweener, too much work to do to project them uh, as a starter in this league. I really like Farrell as a UDFA nose tackle pickup. There you I go. Know, I don't know if it'll last to that point, but you know the Ravens passed on uh, Chris Tonga last year when he was available at five. They just had to have Ben Mason, 
you know, it's, it's just, there's some, some things that there's been some real missed opportunities to get this line younger. Uh, that, he, he was, he was probably the player I was most upset about in the last draft, not getting it with a fifth round pick and ending up with Mason who, you know, obviously they, you, the fact that Mason is back with the Ravens at another position right now, you can't ascribe any of that to the fact that they drafted him. That's right. So, That's right. You know, it's luck. where I, you know, I've, I've getting myself in trouble here with the, the Harbaugh evaluation. Harbaugh is an evaluator and EDC was saying how good of a har of an evaluator he thinks coach Harbaugh is. And uh, to me, I've, you know, I kind of lean towards locking him out of the draft room and not having him pick favorites like Tyree Phillips that he just keeps right. wanting to jam in the, in the lineup. So, or, a, or a, uh, a Ben Mason. So anyway, uh, good point. You know, that's, that's something that, uh, you know, who knows, Ken, who knows what's happened on the inside. That's the only pushback I get, but I don't like coaches favorites being drafted. I'd rather the, the GMs, and the scouts do that. Right. I, I agree. I, I, you know, it's okay to, to, I guess, to talk scheme in the room, but, but they're the waiting on their vote should be very low. Yes. If, you know, if, you, if, if, if they're the vice president breaking a tie in case of a you know a 50-50 vote in the Senate, that's about how much weight I want their vote to have. There I, you go. I, and collaboration I, is good. Collaboration is good. I, I'm sorry I interrupt you with that, but you know it comes off when I say that. Like I don't want oh ignore the coach, forget about what he thinks. No, it's not that. Collaboration is good. I just want EDC to pick the guy he wants. Sure. Yeah, I I agree with that. It is it that that roster is is his purview i know he's got a he's got to deal with that next door neighbor <laughs> pretty often but uh right <laughs> but that's a that's a uh, that's a that's a move he's got to make i got three guys uh matthew butler the the tennessee guy fifth year senior uh a lot of things to like about the guy one of the problems i have is there's some sort of a peck injury that occurred uh that that made him not bench on his pro day and that was only you know 10 days ago 11 days ago on 330 so that has me a little bit concerned about about where he is right now but he did some good things i mean he played at tennessee not a not a really top program obviously and had good numbers in his senior year and that's you know something to look at and like versatile three five guy i think uh six four two ninety eight so 33 and a half inch arms he gives you you know a lot of what you want in your three five guy including some production i, I just i'm a little bit concerned about the injury which is why i left him out of my top 10 haskell garrett has some effort flags at ohio state um that are bad and i don't have a lot of tolerance for effort flags coming out of school. So the Ravens, if they take him, they better be sure from the interviews that he's a guy they think they can fix. They've been wrong a lot, by the way, from interviews. Uh, they're wrong with Sergio Kendall. Uh, yes. You can start with him uh, as a guy. I've heard the explanation and I hate it. And Harbaugh gave the explanation. He said, you know, uh, he was in an accident where uh, he, I think he either hit someone or he got an accident. He was a hit and run or something. I, I, I forget the exact circumstances, but he was on his cell phone texting at the time. And he like went through this, went to the chalkboard, did a whole description of how the accident happened. So I think they were giving him points for being honest and open about how it happened. And they thought it was sweet and innocent and still very stupid, you know, for him to leave the scene of the, 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 the event. And then, of course, this ends up being a guy who, for whatever reason, is up in the middle of the night and falls down the stairs. Whatever the reason, okay, I can't come up with a good reason why a guy falls in the dark on the stairs. Okay, could, could have been a lot of reasons for it, most of them not good. 
So anyway, that's where I am with Haskell Garrett. I, I, I don't like effort flags, uh, and that's what we have with him. Thomas Booker of Stanford, uh, not a great fit for the Ravens also as a three only. And since he's less uh, discernibly better than Matabike, he's younger. So you'd be starting again with a two-year advantage, but um, he's uh, uh, not a great fit for the Ravens as a three only in terms of reuthifying that line again. So I like him. I just don't think he's the greatest fit. Left him out so- of my top ten. So my two things uh, with with Garrett, like uh, Haskell Garrett, I believe he needs to get into better shape, and that's what that comes mm-hmm. down to. I, I really think that the effort is uh, that you're talking about is a result of just being tired. And uh, he's a guy that I will have on my board, but you know he's going to be in that draftable category and not a value pick. And then uh, Booker, uh, Ken, uh, to try to soften this up, but I, I don't think he's very good at football. Like I was, I was. <laughs> I saw the body type and everything, and I'm like, okay, you know, this guy looks like a big running back. Man, this guy's about to kick some butt. And then uh, I'm like, man, what looks like Tarzan plays like Jane? Is that what you say, Ken? That's yeah, the saying, right? There you go. I mean, penetrator, not a two-gapper? Is, is that part of it? You're looking for that two-gap strength? To- yes, I just don't see a ton of to, to build off of, man. I've just, I just don't. Um, so I haven't looked at him sense so i probably can't get real specific on that but it was one of them yeah knows for me like i'll look at him at the end when i'm trying to figure out who barely makes my board but i don't think he's making it sir all right well fair enough I, outstanding discussion really appreciate having you on jason every time you're here we we go way over so we're an hour and 30 on this and this is going to be one of the longer shows of the group uh but it's because we really appreciate it we really love talking football with you and and uh it's always a great time tell folks once again where they can find your work Sure. It's at Huddle It Up Films on at Twitter. Well, mostly YouTube. Go to Huddle It Up Films on YouTube. And right now I'm in the middle of doing a series that I am enjoying as much as anything I've, have, I've done on the channel. And that's getting with people from the Ravens community. And we're picking out about four players each. And uh, it's a barbecue theme. The barbecue stands for big board questions. So big brain over here on the marketing, Ken. Big brain over here came up with a good idea. <laughs> came up with a good idea. So so your wife or your or your dog? Who? Which one was it? Uh, what's that? Oh yeah, that, yeah it was idea. the dog. It was the dog. <laughs> I have a uh, uh, my dog has some husky in him, so he sounds like Blue from Blue's Clues. So he, so he can say barbecue if he wanted to. <laughs> Uh, right. but, uh, but yeah, you know, got, got our friend Garnett came through the other day. Michael Crawford, mm-hmm. Dev came through, uh, Chris Aguilera came through, Alec came through. And, uh, of course I asked them about their barbecue habits first, just to get, have a little fun with it. And, uh, Garnett came on the other day and he had five prospects. Of course, Garnett has to break the rules. He can't just pick four, yeah. he picks five. And then, uh, he compared them all to a side dish. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Falalele was his cornbread because he feels like he fills it up okay. and he's just a big oven f- uh, full of cornbread. And uh, my was Jay- the deviled egg, <laughs> my Jay- nobody, but my Jay Sanders was the uh, was the mac and cheese. Uh, and he, he Kobe Bryant was Kobe baked beans Bryant because. Okay. Yeah, he's good with or without the sauce from Garnett West. So, <laughs> uh, we're, having, we're having some fun over there with the Ken. So we'll, we'll look forward to seeing you and some others over there. A, a really fun series uh, where we have fun, but we also break the, the prospects down in depth, what we like about them. So. All right. Really enjoy it. And uh, we'll look forward to you again seeing you on draft night. Uh, other folks out there, if you're looking to do a draft related show, I'm looking for people who are interested in doing anything that's overarching in terms of the draft. If you think, 
oh boy, the Ravens ought to consider how they will change their philosophy in terms of their draft. And now we had some of that today from Jason in terms of going to a 4-3 defense and how that really forces commitment to other positional groups in the draft if you want to make that change. Uh, that sort of thing, or, or relativizing, say, wide receiver versus tight end or, or tight end versus defensive line or whatever you'd like to do. You know, Tell us why it's more important the Ravens draft A than B. Love to have you on. We'll discuss it. We'll have a lot of fun. 30 minutes or so. Uh, try and be as narrow as you can. And then we'll go in, in as much depth as we can on that narrow topic. That's always the way with the film study shorts. Uh, but really appreciate you. DMs are open on Twitter. Hit me up there. I'll get back to you within a day or so. And uh, and we'll be talking real, real, real soon. Jason, thanks again for coming on. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, Ken. I really appreciate you, buddy. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.